0: I don't know. Maybe if we did X, Y, or Z. That was me throwing out something in a company meeting at a corporation that I used to work for. Um, This was me panicking when the person running that meeting said, Well, what about this? What if you made that happen? Gulp. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva. And on today's episode of Wisdom Smack, I want to get into the magical power of what ifs. So join me on the flip as we get into it. I'm not going to lie, I was in panic. I had basically talked myself into something, or as uh, Olvos would like to say, I, my mouth had written a check that my actions couldn't cash, but I had to make it work. You see, at this particular time in this particular company, I had something to prove. And I was still at that age where I actually gave a care. Gived? That's... Uh, I actually gave a care <laughs> about what other people think. Um, not so much nowadays. But anyway, I digress. Let me get back on it. So I'm not going to say that I was the hero and I made it work really big, Um, but what I will say is that I was able to come up with a plan that they took a look at, they modified it, and then they put it into practice. My plan was too expensive, but but I pulled it off. And one of the things that I, I learned from that experience was that there is a magical power when we ask necessary questions. Now, I wanted to do a podcast about this whole thing of necessary questions. But the thing is, is a lot of times it's hard for people to envision questions as something that's uh, useful, exciting, or sexy, if you will. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe if I just go back to what the questions are trying to get at, and that is To be able to find that way to pull something off. Um, There have been many times when the mother of uh, necessity, um, well, necessity was the mother of invention, and I can imagine it going with somebody saying, why hasn't somebody done X, Y, or Z? Or wouldn't it be cool if this X, Y, or Z could do this thing? And on and on along that vein. And yeah, that is a lot of times the springboard that gets people to moving in that particular way. Now, I, you know, I love my books. Uh, There is a book that I have mentioned before and it's called Play Bigger. And I like this book because they give benchmarks, uh, not benchmarks, but they give little vignettes about different companies or people who did this kind of stuff to make their what ifs real. And one in particular I want to highlight right now is Uber. Uh, The story goes that the two co-founders of Uber were in uh, Paris at some type of conference. And the conference had let out and it was raining and they were trying to hail a cab and they couldn't. And they looked at each other And I don't know if they used the what if, but they did ask some type of question along the lines of wouldn't it be cool if, and they said, you know, if you didn't have to try to find a cab already going your way, it would be cool if we could use these computers in our hands, aka phones, to just summon someone to come and get us at this particular spot where we are. And that's supposedly how the concept of Uber as a ride-sharing company, was born. Now, I can say so much about that one little incident, but one thing I didn't say about that incident that I want to bring up now is that there is an aftermath. There's something that happens after you unleash that kind of question, especially if you unleash it and you realize that the fact that you ask it and Because you ask it, you have to be the one to make it happen. That aftermath is that very thing. Uh, okay, what do I do to make this happen? You see, going back to that time and thinking about that as um, a bright-eyed person with enough chutzpah to try to pull it off, you know, thankfully I did. I had to I had to pull in a lot of resources that I didn't know I had in me and a lot of those resources had to do with getting other people from other departments to buy in to help me to give me the information pulled a lot of favors and all of that kind of stuff but what happens when you when you don't have the backing of a corporation with assembled people with specialties and skills? What happens when the what if you're trying to do is something that's never been done to your knowledge and it's only you? Well, the one thing that I'm gonna say is the first thing you wanna do is you wanna get your head around the right course to go to. So I made a few notes for y'all. So bear with me. So the first thing is you want to go and try to get some consultation of uh, the the road ahead. And if you don't know how to start with that, I always say start at the perimeter of what is already happening. Start with something that's kind of sort of it. I imagine the Uber guys started with the largest cities in taxis and trying to figure out what they needed to know about publicly transporting people by car. So that was, you know, that was a start. And it's kind of like you're you're you've got this big slab of marble and and the statue David is in the inside of it. You know he's there. And you just wanna get to him in the most skillful way as possible. So that means that you're gonna work your way in and down to it so that you can um on un- Unleash, reveal, if you will, the beauty that is within. Now, I wrote I wrote this down um, a little while ago, and I hate to say it is corny, but it helps me. And I'm going to read this to you guys when I ta- when I think about what ifs, especially when I'm coming up with something that I've never uh, shared or taught on before. Okay, so for me, this is what I say about what ifs. I say what ifs are born in today, grow up. In tomorrow and dominate in the next years so to me that's kind of like my mini manifesto when I launch one of my what ifs you know and so now I don't say what if somebody I usually was just going to say what if I and that gives me the ownership that I need to to do it and so I'm gonna say that a little bit uh, I'm gonna say it again Okay, so this is what I have written down about my what ifs. I I say, what ifs are born in today, grow up in tomorrow and dominate in the next years. So the next thing I do, knowing that they're born in today is, remember I tell you, you go and you try to find the periphery or something close to what you want to do. So the next thing I do is I try to make sure I observe the current and create capabilities. Now, I got that from um, a, another person, um, Gary V, uh, when he was talking about, I don't know if he was talking about what ifs, but I just grabbed it for that. And so I observe the current and that helps me to create capabilities. Now, that is generalized speak for this thing that I'm getting ready to tell you about. Okay. So bear with me. I'm getting ready to break down how to take advantage of or to become um versed in and able to pull off when you have your what-ifs. Um, the first thing a lot of people think of when they say, okay, well, how do you do it? They always think of the money that's involved. And I'm going to actually say that meh, don't try to look at the money as much as you look at what you're able to do and what someone else is able to do. There is a statement that uh, goes in 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 my uh, circle of people that I know. It's the who, not the how. So remember when I said start doing your research on peripheries? The next thing you want to do is you want to go out and find out who's doing something that you can put together with something else to get get things done. So for instance, and I suck at this, I'm still learning this. This is just my truth. I tend to find that um, when I um, at the beginning of a what if, I like to get my hands in there. I'm, um, you know, well, everybody is every type of learner, but I like to try stuff out. But I know that I'm not uh, a, a, a artist. I know I'm not a coder. And so um, I will go and try to figure out who is doing something that I like that I can get done And then I start developing a budget, if you will. And um, sometimes I have to step back and do something uh, to get something done. There's this story that's told about Dan Brown. And that is that uh, Dan Brown, excuse me, not Dan Brown. Oh, please forgive me. it's not Dan Brown, it's uh the guy who writes the lawyer stories. It'll come to me in a minute. I am so sorry that I am uh blanking out on his name right now, you guys. But he wrote Lincoln Lawyer and a whole whole bunch of other ones. But anyway, supposedly he writes these books and he does them because he thought it would be cool for um p- kids to have a safe place to play with uh healthy materials on playgrounds, and supposedly he's really really... really big into uh, funding these playgrounds now um, because I don't see this, this gentleman who is um, um, not a a young chicken out there actually doing um, the labor to put these playgrounds up. He is of the same mind, the who not the how where he hires people. And because of that, he has a budget and that budget is taken from the proceeds of his books. And so, you know, there's that. And it is, it seems like, oh yeah, that's, that's how you do it. But when I was starting out, I had no clue. And so I'm not going to make that assumption that you know, that, that, you know, you start with the who, not the how, after you've um, been able to see um, the periphery of what's going on, you know, and, and you build on that. Okay. So once you've done the who, not the how, this is uh, the next thing. Well, I actually jumped the gun because when I talked about observing the current to create capabilities and you start to look at the who, not the how, while you're doing that, you want to find patterns of repeating newness. So, um, when I'm looking at things, um, and I, I I'm, you know, I'm trying not to give y'all a book today. There is a book I'll mention. I'm not going to even put. The, I'm not going to put it in the show notes. But it's a book called for uh, super forecasting. You know, I, with predictions and probabilities. Um, and no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm just going to say this. When you are um, starting out, you want to start to train your mind to see patterns of repeating newness. And newness does not mean that it has to be something that's never been done before. You're just trying to look and see where the pendulum is swinging. And meaning, so for instance, if people have been using one type of platform to do something for a while, are there migrations worth noting of people moving away from that? If not, then that's not a pattern that you need to be concerned with. Um, if people are, are migrating to something else, then that's a pattern. Now I'm gonna give you a quick little insight on how to find patterns if you're not really good at them. Patterns are revealed through attention and congregation, meaning that where places and things, objects, services, or whatever, that are generating a lot of attention tend to point to patterns. Patterns are also able to be found where a lot of people are congregating. There's this saying that I like to say often, and that is, and I, you know what, I'm not, I don't want to take credit for it, but I might take credit for it because I think I wrote this uh, in a book (laughs) for a character, but I'm going, here goes. And that is people stop for two things they stop for parades and train wrecks which one are you uh, yeah so that's how it goes so people stop for two things parades or train wrecks and you can see a a, a type of pattern by just doing that case in point right now while i'm right well i'm not writing this but while i'm talking to you about this 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 is the summer months for where i am in this in the in in the world and it's hot right yeah it's really hot um And so looking at what are um, possibilities, if you will, uh, what are the necessary questions I need to ask? What I'm doing is I am looking at where people are populating. Now, I know that people are populating usually in the summertime because they um, have more daylight. If you're in a daylight saving zone, they have more daylight. I know that... um, they are spending more time outside, so there are more activities that they're doing. And so looking at where the multi attention is uh, for activities and entertainment is going to be a great way to show patterns. One of the fastest ways that I have found is I look at where people's attentions are going for genres of entertainment, whether it be music, which is a big one, uh, whether it be social media, which is another big one, um, and starting to look at outliers. Now, I'm going to quickly go over this, but um, there are different components of people and um, how they embrace something. And so a lot of times there are what we would call early adapters. These are the risk takers. These are the people who don't want to be doing what everybody else is doing. They are always on the hunt for new stuff. They are the people who were buying um, Betamax (laughs) uh, when VHS and Betamax were were coming out. They were the people buying Laserdiscs. They're the people buying the first uh, um, Apple phones, iPhones. They are the risk takers. They are out there. And so there is a bit of caution when it comes to looking at where they're congregating and what they're congregating around because they are not always right. They are not always the truest predictions or predictors of uh, getting it right. You know, they just aren't. Um, So after the early adapters, then you have um, like the early mainstream. And the early mainstream, these are the people. Now, early adapters are after this because they want to be different. They're risk takers. The early mainstream are are going to be where you're going to find a lot of... Uh, good information on the magic of the what if, if especially if there's something that you're wanting to see if enough people are like you who have that interest. Because um, this early mainstream, they are all about data, science, um, and proof or evidence to back up if this is something good enough with enough of a long tail win to get into it. So, Think of the people who um, started finally embracing uh, using, uh, let me think of something off the top of my head. Um, they started using mm, uh, electric cars, Teslas and stuff like that. Um, and it was because it was really the early mainstream, which helped um, that technology of um, the Purely electric cars, electric electric luxury cars. Let me say that electric luxury cars get off the ground, and so the early adapters were one thing, but it was when that early majority came in and started congregating around it, and uh, they were the ones that got the attention of Consumer Reports. And Consumer Reports then, uh, at the time, said that that was one of the top vehicles, and then boom, all of a sudden they're getting all this attention, and. Uh, You know, so that was a way for for people to start um, seeing that the trend was moving towards being more mindful of global emissions, global warming, and carbon footprints, and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so I'm trying to like just give you uh, some practicals of what happened with regards to somebody asking, "What if?" and then how they came. Um, to figure it out. So let me go back and recap what I've already said. So when you're thinking about uh, the what if, you want to start with the periphery of stuff that already exists. So for instance, um, if we're talking about Uber, they would have started with figuring out uh, the public transportation for taxis and maybe even for buses and airplanes. Uh, If we're talking about Tesla, they would have gone and looked at the research of other hybrid uh, electrical cars and previous all-electric cars that may have failed or not taken off, but they would have looked at the automotive industry. They would have looked at the infrastructure of uh, the nation. So they would have looked at things that already exist that are close enough to what they're trying to do for them to be able to start getting a game plan. Okay. So like I said, you want to observe the current to see and be able to identify and create your capabilities of what you're going to do. And that means, and and includes finding the patterns of repeating newness. Okay. So the next thing is, is you want to find the spot between crazy and normal. You see, provocative, uh, prolific. uh, Let's see here. Um, uh, there's another P word I could probably come up with. But these are the things that get people to pay attention to you. These are the things that get people interested in what you're doing because they're out of the norm. And so when you are willing to do something that is exciting, is brand new, that causes people to stumble over it, that causes them to have to sit with it and mull over it, those are some great things to Um, Oh, polarizing. We've talked about polarizing. That's another one. Um, You know, so those are some great things uh, to look at. One of the things I will say at this particular time, I don't want to date this too much, but in social media, there are certain platforms that are more polarizing than others. The one that pops in my mind at this particular time is going to be Twitter. You know, go and consult the crystal ball of Twitter to see if Twitter has any kind of say so or advice or feedback or whatever it is on whatever it might be that you're Uh, considering and looking at, because that is going to uh, be able to help you to gauge where you need to position yourself between what's too far and what's too safe. And and that little sweet spot in between is where you want to be. And then, as I said before, I, I, I talked about early adapters. I want you to figure out who your early adapters are. Now, remember these are not the people that you're going to stake everything on because, I mean, out of the entire population, they only represent about maybe 5%, whereas the early mainstream is going to um, be anywhere from 15 to 20% per- of uh, the population, and they usually come right after the early adapters. But if you figure out what the early adapters uh, want or would be interested in, one good thing about them, they're pretty good at becoming word of mouth salespeople for your idea or your service or whatever it is. And so there it does make it where you want to at least consider some of the things that they would be interested in. Okay. And then once you've done that, look at the longevity of whatever it is you're trying to figure out how it will appeal to the early mainstream who is only going to be willing to take a dip in your pool if they can uh, make it useful. It has to have some type of um, uh, stability to it. It can't be a flash in the pan. It can't be so out there with no support that they would be wasting their money. So it kind of has to make some kind of sense. Now, this is the part that I really uh, was thankful for once I started getting in there and and having to figure out like new trainings, uh, new ideas for books, new ways to market and all that kind of stuff. This is the part that really helped me. And I actually learned this by observing large companies like Apple and um, Amazon. I'll just go on and say it. And this is the golden nugget that I got from them. And that is to plot from the complex down to the simplest way. Now, in another podcast called Inversion, I talked about how billionaires and people who have been highly successful approach problem solving. And what they do is they figure out instead of trying to figure out that goal of how to make this what if happen, no, they don't look at it that way. They try to figure out what could go wrong and they fix that in the design or the rollout of what they're going to do. So they spend their time focusing on doing away with what could go wrong and therefore it creates a clearer path to get what they do want done. And so then that helps you to take out all of the Complic- uh, excuse me, complications and the complexities. Um, I I still struggle with this, but um, excuse me, when I come up with uh, certain, some ideas, they tend to have this idea creep where I keep adding on more and more stuff. And so my stuff gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I'm sitting there with something that's daunting that I'm like, I'll need a team to get this done when it should have just been a, a, a little project. And when I started learning how Apple and Amazon became so good at what they did, I noticed that they. Didn't stop trying to do those high concepts. No, they allowed those high concepts to happen and then they whittled down to the most important part or the most important function or the most important uh, provocative, polarizing thing about it um, and worked on that. Take, for instance, them removing the uh, head, the, the phone jacks off of their phones. That was That was ballsy. That was provocative. It was polarizing. It was all of that. But it was also a way to simplify things. They didn't have to include another hole in their design. Um, They made it where their design is now um, modeled so that uh, you use these uh, little eye, um, ear pod thingies and uh, you're going about your way. You don't have to deal with the wires and it makes for a cleaner design. It makes for a um, less cumbersome uh, interaction. And because of, of that, I was like, okay, that makes sense because They are always working down to the least amount of buttons and the least amount of friction. And then that got me thinking about Amazon. Amazon has been whittling down their delivery to where now in some cities and markets, they deliver same day if you do it at a certain time. And so they have always been whittling down and they have taken it from the idea of being customer obsessive so that they can get stuff um, down to the simplest thing of you buy from us and it shows up at your door. Point blank, simple. And so because of that, this is the big takeaway from how to turn your what-ifs into something and the magic of them. When you get down to this point, and you're figuring out what could go wrong and fixing for that, and then you're whittling down from the complex to the simple, focus on removing friction between either you and the uh, end user, you and if it's not a product or a service, and it's a relationship uh, that you're wanting to build, figure out how to remove the friction uh, that would cause someone uh, uncomfortableness or where there is um, um, an uneasiness. Remove all of that kind of stuff so that it becomes as smooth as possible. And guess what? You end up having a viable plan that you can go implement and execute on. And that is the magic of starting out with a simple what if or wouldn't it be nice if kind of situation. So now let me just recap this for you guys, because I don't know about you, but this works. I mean, I'm telling you what I know, not what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. All right. So it all started, like I said before, um, I was young, had something to prove. I mouth out. I didn't mouth out. I just offered a solution or an idea to a solution in a uh, meeting and the person running the meeting threw it back at me and said, okay, well you own it. You you go do it. And I fumbled around and I was scared and I didn't know how to do it. But because I rolled my sleeves up and I knew that it could be done, I started formulating some of the things that I'm sharing with you. Now many years later and having done this over and over again where I didn't have a roadmap. I didn't have someone I could Google or um, YouTube research to figure out how to do it. I've come up with these things that that where I look at it, I know that my what-ifs are born in today, they grow up in tomorrow, and then they dominate in the next year. So I always have to be forward thinking of what's going to keep this thing perennial, what's going to keep it fresh and new. And I observe what's happening currently. And I uh, I look for patterns and uh, uh, of things and repeating patterns of newness, like a chirp here of this coming out, um a whisper there. So I always look for patterns and repeating new stuff that's flashing. And then I find the spot between, Crazy and normal, so that I can figure out how to appeal to the early adapters as well as the early mainstream. And then I focus on making stuff as simple as possible and removing the friction out of it so that I can have my early adapters and my early mainstream champion and word of mouth stuff for me. And that is how I approach and I'm saying maybe you can do it too, the magic of taking a what if and turning it into something. So guess what? This has been Michelle Spiva for another podcast of Wisdom Smack. My time is up, but I sure do thank you for yours. And I would like for you to consider liking, subscribing, commenting, sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And please consider helping to support this podcast by using our Amazon link at michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. And until I talk to you tomorrow, I hope that you have a wonderful what if possibility day. Bye.